Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 178 called Ashley. Hello, everybody. This is Allie and Blair, the co-founders of Fertility Rally. And we are here to tell you a little bit about who we are, what we do, and how we can support you on your infertility journey. So we wanted to let you know that Fertility Rally is the membership group that we created. It's the place we wish we had when we were in the thick of it. We offer support groups. We have private Facebook groups. We have tons of events, lots of videos, blog posts, so much content. We're starting to do IRL events as well. And we want to be there for you no matter where you are on your journey. Yeah, our favorite part, we had no idea where this would go when we started it. And our favorite part about it is watching all of our members, which is like 300 plus at this point, connect and create true lifelong friendships. We have members that are meeting up in real life. We have members that are supporting each other on Instagram. We have members that call each other best friends now. And honestly, like that is the most rewarding thing to see. We had no idea it would go here. And so we're just, we're inviting you to join the rally fam. Yeah, it's such a great space. It's a safe space. We also have fun when we can. So we would love for you to be a part of it. Check us out on fertilityrally.com and on Instagram at fertilityrally. Hope to see you guys soon. Hey teachers, listen up. My friends at KindBody are offering an amazing discount this summer just for you. From now until September 5th, KindBody is offering priority access to fertility treatment during your summer break with an exclusive $1,500 discount on egg freezing or IVF plus $100 off your first appointment. KindBody is a new kind of fertility provider built with patients in mind. They offer all of the latest fertility and infertility treatments in modern, welcoming, and accessible clinics across the country. KindBody has an incredible team of experienced doctors, affordable prices that they list on their website, hello transparency, and a technology-enabled seamless patient experience. KindBody is so forward-thinking, they've also recently merged with our good friends over at Vios Fertility Institute. You know I love Vios. Some of the best in the business, in my opinion. We've worked with Vios for the past few years, and their doctors are absolutely brilliant. They make sure that they are teammates with their patients and they're focused on innovation, which I think is just great. KindBody knows that educators like you guys work tirelessly to take care of others all year, and this is just one way that they can say thanks. Visit kindbody.com slash teacher dash promo for details and exclusions and to get your discount code for $1,500 off egg freezing or IVF plus the $100 off your first appointment. Again, that's kindbody.com slash teacher hyphen promo. Thanks, KindBody, and thank you, teachers. All right, guys. So today I am talking to the wonderful Ashley Gilden Spitzer, who emailed me her story, and I wanted to include it in this batch because she has an interesting story about having her twiblings, which she calls them, which are her two babies born four months apart. So we've had a couple of stories like this before. Alex Slate comes to mind as well. She just had her two sons this year, not too long ago. And her story was on my podcast. If you guys haven't listened to that one, it's really good. But Ashley is going to tell us about her four years of infertility struggles, so many ups and downs, so many retrievals, so many transfers, so many losses, so many other things as well. So She does have her two babies now who were born four months apart, and she's going to tell us exactly how she got there. So thanks again to Ashley. And without further ado, this is Ashley's infertility story. Ashley, hello. It's so good to talk to you and meet you officially. Hi, thank you so much. I've been a fan of yours for such a long time. So I'm so excited to be here. Oh, well, thank you for listening and for reaching out to share your story. So we are going to talk about your twin blings (laughs) (laughs) who were born four months apart, but there is a lot of story that comes before we get into all that, right? Yes. Um, Four years and a a lot of ups and downs. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So let's start with how did you meet your husband? So my husband and I actually met through a a mutual friend of ours. Um, My friend's husband worked with him. My husband, John, was new at his job and he was single. And um, he's like, oh, I have a girl for you. And uh, 
basically uh, reached out to me, showed me his picture. I thought he was cute. Uh, turns out we had like a ton of mutual friends. He went to Michigan with a lot of my good friends. So um, yeah, that's how we met. And uh, it was pretty much, we went like kind of from zero to 60 pretty quickly. <laughs> okay. Did, when did you guys start talking about building family? Probably like at the same time when we decided we were going to move in together and like we're talking about marriage and the life together, which I'd say was about like five months into our relationship. So pretty quickly, um, mm -hmm. we were, we were a bit older. I mean, not so old, but I think I was 27 and he was 30 when we met. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how old when you guys got married? Uh, I was 30 and he was 33. So okay. we got, um, we moved in together a little over one year of dating and we got engaged four days after we moved in together. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, but we had an 18 month long engagement. So it was, um, it was a longer engagement, but, uh, we, we knew pretty quickly that we were each other's people. Yes. I love that. Okay. So fast forwarding to when you started to try to have yes. babies, what happened? So um, we got married in May 2017 and we were just kind of decided we were going to wait until, you know, beginning of the next following year to uh, start trying. Um, but strangely enough, my my period um, that summer just kind of didn't come back um, one month and I was on the pill and I just didn't get a period. And I was, thought that was kind of strange. So I decided to stop the pill and just kind of wait for my period to come back. And months and months went by and it never came back. Mm -hmm. So when we were going to go start in January, I was like, hmm, I don't think we can start because I don't even know when I ovulate. And it's just, you know, kind of crazy because I feel like you learn so much in school and then sex ed and stuff like that. But like, I feel like you just have so much zero idea about like actually the timing and ovulation and all that stuff. So hundred percent. So did you think at all you might be pregnant? Was there any possibility? There was, yes. When I didn't get my period that month in August, I remember like take, running to take a pregnancy test and being like, oh my God. Um, and of course I was not pregnant. But in, in January, um, I had a friend who had just done an IUI um, and gotten pregnant and she mentioned her doctor and she liked her. So I was like, you know what, let me go to a, a specialist. So I kind of went right away. My husband, I never tried naturally um, because I didn't have a period. And of course, I quickly got diagnosed with hypothalamic amenorrhea, so loss of period. And so we, right away we knew, okay, I guess we're going to need assistance to get pregnant. Okay. Do you want to hear something crazy? I've never yeah. heard that term before. Like we, hundreds of interviews talk to thousands of women, you seriously? know, like, yeah, I've never a, heard of that. Say it again. Super, What's it called? It's called hypothalamic amenorrhea. It's a super common diagnosis. Um, usually it, uh, it's associated a little bit with people with PCOS. There's, you know, the symptoms or I guess the, the, stereotype of people with hypothalamic and amenorrhea are usually, you know, if you have like severe weight loss or you are over exercise or things like that. And I didn't really fall into any of those categories or maybe have some sort of an eating disorder or mm -hmm. an extreme athlete. I, I didn't really fall into any of those categories, but there are certain people. So basically your brain doesn't talk to your ovaries to tell it, um, it's ovulate each month. So I, that, that was kind of my diagnosis. And for people like that though, something like a Clomid or Electrozole or, um, usually is an easy like option to, to get pregnant. You just, you're, you're not really infertile. You just, um, you can't even, you don't even ovulate on your own. So you can't even try to get pregnant naturally. Okay. So what was the treatment? So um, we started out with timed intercourse with Clomid and did not get pregnant. We moved, um, to an IUI. Of course I, um, over responded also, mm -hmm. um, like, because I have PCOS like ovaries, um, and it, it had to get canceled. Um, I actually found out through my employer that my insurance had changed at work. Um, so I had to change to another, another, uh, clinic in New York city. And there, um, we went, went straight to an IUI and I was kind of, this is my first foray into like my crazy fertility story, but I did an IUI. I was basically told I was not pregnant. My husband and I went on a vacation, came back. I didn't, I felt off tested, I was pregnant. Whoa. I uh, did not get pregnant on vacation. Turns out I was pregnant from that IUI. I was already like six and a half weeks along. Oh um, but I had a blighted ovum and needed DNC. So, so that was my first miscarriage and my first like kind of what what the fuck moment. Um mm -hmm. And um, was not obviously was not thrilled with that clinic and moved to my third clinic um, in Manhattan and kind of decided to really evaluate whether um, we would do any more IUIs or we'd move straight to IVF. 
And I decided to give one more IUI try to not get pregnant um, and then started our IVF journey. This was now September of 2018. Okay. So how were you doing like emotionally with all this? I mean, after that first, the blighted ovum, for example, yeah. how did so you it was handle really, that? It was really shitty timing. Um, mm-hmm. and as I was going through my my DNC, my, my brother, my sister-in-law told us they were pregnant. Uh, and so, you know, they're a little bit younger. So that was like kind of a first punch in the gut just cause, you know, I was obviously very happy for them, but I was also mourning my own, my own loss. I actually didn't have a ton of friends who were, had done IVF. Um, a few of them that I had connected with all, like for the most part, got pregnant on the first transfer. So mm-hmm. I was like kind of feeling pretty hopeful. And I honestly, I'm, I'm the type of person who doesn't get like super intimidated by things. I'm kind of like, all right, like this is a step. Let's just tackle it and like move it on. So I was very like optimistic. I was like, all right, we're going to do IVF. And we're going to have a baby, like this mm-hmm. is gonna be fine, you know, and right. it, we don't have to try for months, you know, we could be pregnant three months or whatever. And yep. fortunately I had, um, really good fertility coverage at work. So the financial aspect was not a concern for me, which That's I think great. is also a huge weight that I didn't have to, you know, think about. Um, and I was pretty open with most of my friends, um, again, cause I was like, I don't want to say I was naive, but I was like, so optimistic that I was like, okay, like it's, you know, we're, you know, we're going to do IVF. We'll do a retrieval. We'll, we'll PGS test our embryos. We're young. I was at this time I was 30 and my husband was 30. No, I was 31 and he was 34. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so we did our first retrieval and, um, that was also, I guess my first like wake up call that like numbers dwindle yep. and we had gotten 15 eggs, uh, eight were mature, seven fertilized. I had three blasts and two came back normal, but honestly sending three and getting two, I was like kind of thrilled. I was like, okay, um, we have, we have two shots. Like the first one doesn't work, you know, we have another one or I could do another retrieval, but like, I kind of like really was, I don't know. I kind of felt confident that the first one was going to work. Right. I think that's so (laughs) common. And I'm glad that you said that because people who are just starting out on this journey, you know, I, and I was the same way. I was like, Oh, IVF. Sure. Yeah. That's, you know, it's pretty much a given, like it's going to work. And, you know, you don't realize that there's so many things that could go wrong, not to be Debbie Downer, but it's true. You know, I've totally changed my outlook and my advice to other people like is, is very different now that I'm on the other side. Um, What do you say now? I, I say to always be cautiously optimistic and also just to let go of expectations of time. Like time, mm-hmm. I think is the worst enemy when you're going through um, infertility, everything feels like forever. And a month feels like a year. And I feel like a lot of times people make not the smartest decisions or don't listen to their gut because they are rushed for time and they just mm-hmm. want the transfer to be tomorrow. And, you know, and they skip the test and stuff like that. And my, my biggest recommendation is to like, not have, I go with the path of least regret. So I know mm-hmm. myself, if I'm going to go through something and I feel like, shit, why didn't I do that extra thing? Am I rushing this? Am I, am I not best set up for success? And then I let that like anxiety eat me alive. I'd much rather, you know, take a month off or see the extra doctor or do that, you know, the extra month of a, of a, a protocol to feel more confident going into a retrieval or a transfer. Mm-hmm. I love that. The, the, what was the path of least regret? I love that. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyways, we transferred our, our first transfer first FET was November of 2018. Um, unfortunately we got a, a complete fail mm-hmm. and I was definitely, you know, pretty devastated. Um, again, now I, you know, I know now, and I look back and I realize that it's not uncommon and, you know, even the best embryo in the best environment only has about a 70% chance of working. And like my lining, you know, was not bad, but it, it didn't get super thick. Um, I had trilaminar, but I think I was maybe at a 6.5 or a seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my numbers were good, but not great. So, mm-hmm you know, my, my doctor was recommending we transfer the next embryo and not really at first, I don't believe change much. And I'm now I realize I'm that type of person who's like, no, no, no. I put way too much pressure on myself. If I only have one of something left. And I was like, I want to take a pause. And I, you know, I live in New York city. I joined all the Facebook groups. Oh, I know all the, about all the influencers. And I, right. I, I knew about a lot of other tests that could be done. Um, and I was kind of not accepting the like bad luck you know, fail thing. And I was like, I want to see an immune doctor and I want to also do a receptiva biopsy. Good for you. So I totally advocating super proactive and 
I thankfully advocated for my for myself basically from the beginning. And that's kind of like the biggest thing I also tell people is, you know, a lot of people will say, but my doctor says this and my doctor says that, and they don't believe in this. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But they only specialize in, you know, one thing and they don't know everything. And it's so you sometimes don't have to ask. You tell your doctor, I'm also seeing this doctor. I'm getting a second opinion. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You have to be your own best advocate. Only mm-hmm. you know your body. And embryos are very, very precious. And some people struggle to get even a handful of normals. And you can't just, you know, waste those away by like for bad luck. You know, yes, sometimes it is bad luck and the second transfer might work, but I always err on the side of just being more cautious and kind of like making sure everything is all right and okay and doing that extra testing before um, doing another transfer. Right. So I went to, um, and got on the wait list and immune doctor in the city. And the same time I decided to do um, the receptiva biopsy. And of course, you know, the immune protocol came back um, with, you know, or the workup came back with. Uh, I had high inflammation, elevated natural killer cells, um, high cytokines, like a whole slew of things. Um, And so while my doctor was working on a protocol for me um, and I was awaiting the receptiva results, I decided, you know what, let me also do one more, another retrieval. Um, You know, I know, and I'm sure a lot of your, um, the people have come on your podcast and say like, especially when you're first retrieval, it's kind of like a little bit of a crapshoot. The doctor doesn't really know how you're going to respond to the meds yet. It's kind of like, a whole test and learn to see like what the right cocktail is for you. I also started taking like a ton of supplements. I did a gluten-free and dairy-free diet. And so I started preparing for another retrieval. Of course. Uh What supplements um, were you taking naturally? I was taking, um, honestly, I got like a whole list from my acupuncturist and my, and, and the immune doctor and my, my regular doctor, I was on like CoQ10. I was on, I think vitamin C, D, E, fish oil, um, ubiquinol. I was, mm-hmm. you know, um, I was also doing acupuncture. Um, yep. I was kind of like doing every voodoo thing you could think of. I was so um, similar to you. I was like, like go down to Chinatown and get herbs. Yeah. Like, well, you'll, you'll, like, you'll get, we'll get to the point on my really voodoo uh, <laughs> later in the story, which you'll probably laugh at. Cause I feel like it's the biggest, like people are like, what? No, I will not laugh. I'll be like, yeah. I would have done the same thing. So yeah, I, um, I, I, of course my, my receptiva also came back positive, um, for not only, I didn't have that, um, the BCL, the, the, the marker of the protein, but also my, my number was very high. So, mm-hmm. um, my so receptiva was- normally tests for endo, right? Yes. Okay. So I had, um, you know, the, the marker for endometriosis, mm-hmm. um, so the, the protocol there was two months of depo Lupron rather than like, you know, my doctor wasn't pushing a, a lap surgery per se. So I did the retrieval. Um, I actually got drastically different results. This time I got 24 eggs, 22 are mature. I had 17 fertilized, 12 blasts, and 10 came back normal. Wow. So I went from two normals to 10 normals. Wow. Um, so now I had one plus 10. I had 11 normals. I was like, amazing. I am set. I will never have to do a retrieval again. I was like smiling from ear to ear. Um, I was like, and, and I have a diagnosis, like maybe I have endo I'll do two months depo Lupron. That's my issue. And I'm going to get pregnant. And yes. so I was feeling very hopeful. Yep. Um, so I did two, I did depo Lupron for February and March. I also had the immune protocol, which involved, um, intralipids and prednisone and a Nupagen and a bunch of other um, meds. And I transferred uh, in April. And um, of course, my my beta fell on a Saturday. So my doctor let me come in on Friday. So I came in on day eight instead of day nine. And I got a positive and my beta was like 65, I think, or something. And I was so happy. And I went back Sunday for my second beta and it went down to 30. Oh. And it was a chemical pregnancy. And of course, anyone who has chemical pregnancy knows that period is like the worst period ever. I was like in so much pain and I was just kind of devastated. And, yeah. but my doctor was like happy that like this time it implanted, like I did get pregnant. It was a good sign. Um, yeah. And so we agreed to go right into another um, transfer because the Depolupron was still in my system. It had suppressed me. We thought that, um, you know, like it was just time. And this time my doctor agreed to transfer two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I put two in 
And I, this time I also actually added IVIG into my protocol for my immune doctor, which, you know, is a pretty intense treatment. Intralipids is, you know, the egg and the, so the yolk soy, you know, combination that you, is administered over like two to three hours. It's pretty right. you know, easy. I is that a one-time infusion or do you have to do it multiple times? So intralipids, it depends on your protocol, but okay. um, my, mine was going to be uh, once before transfer and then once right after beta and then like a weekly, at least through the first trimester. For IVIG, it's a little less frequently because it's also like extremely expensive. It's mm-hmm. usually four to $5,000 an infusion and insurance mostly doesn't cover it. My insurance did cover intralipids, um, fortunately, but IVIG, it's actually like a, like a platelet, like a blood infusion fusion, mm-hmm. um, with like healthy blood and helps you, you know, I think your body like kind of fight off. Um, cause basically my, everyone thought that my body was attacking the embryos, like mm-hmm. embryos. Like, so I transferred to nine days later, went in for my beta and you know, zero. And when I was like, uh, I, I think I, I, I had no words. I now lost four embryos, three, you know, two failed transfer, one, one chemical. I, I was joking that my, my uterus is where embryos went to die. And, and it was just kind of <laughs> like, I was, I was miserable. Um, yeah. How is your husband doing? Uh, yeah, he wasn't, he was not great either. Fortunately, I have to say, I know a lot, a lot of people have, you know, they suffer uh, with, you know, relationship and marital uh, issues when they go through infertility, it's really hard. Fortunately for us, it only made our relationship stronger. We mm. were thankfully on the same page for just about everything. He was extremely supportive for me, um, you know, half time giving me shots morning and night, coming to doctor's appointments when he could. And, um, and you know, he got really upset too. It really was like impacting both of us, but it never, we fortunately never took it out on each other or like disagreed about next steps. We were kind of both on the side of like, we're willing to do whatever it takes to start a family mm-hmm. um, and, you know, really what, whatever it takes. Um, yeah. That's great that you guys point, are on the same page. Yeah. So at this point um, it was now, um, you know, June, 2019. Um, I've ha- and I now I'm like, you know, what do we do next? You know, I've lost four embryos, three transfers. I thankfully have a bunch left, but like, I, I can't keep doing this to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided a few things. Um, I'm a type A person who always likes to kind of have a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, we always planned a trip <laughs> right before, right around after we'd find out our results so that mm-hmm. if we're not pregnant, we could go away. So we went to Europe. And so that was great for you know June of 2019. But when we got back, we're like, okay, we need, we need a game plan. So um, I decided to meet with a few different um, Nook uh, endo specialists in Manhattan um, because I was kind of like, if I really do have endometriosis, like Depo-Lupron is kind of just a bandaid on it. It's not, it doesn't actually like, you know, cure endo. I was like, the only way to find out if I really have it is to do this like exploratory uh, surgery because I don't, I didn't have any symptoms. Right. Okay. Um, And I also decided that we were going to sign up with a surrogacy agency. We kind of felt like my husband, all we cared about was having a baby and I didn't care about, and it was important to us that the baby was genetically ours. And we fortunately knew that that shouldn't be a problem because we were making tons of normal embryos. Um, But we, we did not, we got to a point where we're like, if somebody else has to carry our baby, like we're totally okay with that. Mm -hmm. So I signed with an agency as kind of like my plan B. And I told them, I'm like, listen, I'm, I know this was like July of 2019. I said, listen, I'm going to try one more transfer to myself. I'm going to do a lap surgery, but I want to sign with you so that if God forbid this next transfer doesn't work, we're going to move to along to surrogacy. And it want to start from like ground zero, you know, after a fourth failed transfer. Right. So we, um, they understood, they told us they wouldn't present us with any matches until I was ready, but I wanted to have my profile and them to start looking, et cetera. Right. Um, and so I did a, a, a lap surgery, um, that summer, July of 2019, they found stage one, stage two, nothing crazy, but, you know, cleared a little bit of, um, you know, they called it chocolate, uh, you know, uh, endo backup, uh, in, in my, in my system. And, um, the recovery really wasn't that terrible. And then I decided to prep for my fourth transfer. And this time we actually did something called a stim FET. So I used actually a uh, menopure at, to, um, build my own, um, estrogen and progesterone. 
um, in, uh, instead of uh, patches uh-huh. um, and started the, the PIO because um, my body had always responded well to the, the stim drugs. I was a slow but steady responder. My lining was always thicker before retrieval than it was before transfer. So um, we thought maybe the stim meds would help my lining grow thicker if my body was producing its own um, instead of like using artificial like estrogen patches. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time my lining got to a 7.5. I, again, I had actually seen a second immune doctor before this transfer had a different protocol transferred one embryo. This was October. Um, honestly, like felt pregnant, had like all the symptoms. I was pretty hopeful. And of course I got the dreaded call that we were not pregnant. And I, I literally, I fell to the floor and I think it's scream bloody murder. Um, and I called Yeah, I called the agency that day and I was like, get me a surrogate. I was like, Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't do this anymore. So yeah, in um, October, 2019, after my fourth bail transfer, um, my husband and I decided, you know, we need to like regroup. And I had actually ran out of um, my fertility uh, insurance with my employer. We decided to uh, just kind of take a break and and see like what we're going to do next as we were focusing on surrogacy. And um, since my insurance had run out, I actually had maintained a relationship with uh, a doctor at a different clinic in New York. And I just was like, you know what, maybe let's just give somebody else a shot for like, you know, a little bit. And I went in and um, do some monitoring and it looked like I was actually going to, my body was doing something. I was going to uh, ovulate. And so um, we decided, you know, let's try uh, an IUI. Uh, And we did it. And I actually got like a beta of a seven. So something had kind of worked, but obviously it wasn't, you know, a good pregnancy. So we decided let's try an IUI one more time, Um, you know, December, right before the end of the year, you know, like I was going away on vacation anyway, but like, ah, it's a, it's a Hail Mary, but like, I have nothing to lose. I'm going to be away anyway. I'm not going to do anything else. And so we did IUI right before Christmas uh, break. Mm -hmm. And I I tested actually um, on uh, New Year's Eve and my beta came back at 14. Um, and with an IUI, you know, like you never know exactly when things happen. So they, they kept following me and it kept doubling mm-hmm. every three days. It was going up, it was going up, um, but it's still low. And I went in for my first ultrasound at, um, I think like right around five and a half, six weeks. And I saw a sack, but it was very small. And my doctor was like, I, I don't think this is going to be a good pregnancy but I think, you know, we, we probably need to see, um, if you need to have a DNC or, uh, you know, take, you know, or just wait out, see if your body will, will discard. And I was like, but my number keeps going up. Can we just like, wait, are you sure? Are you sure? I just, I, I don't, something in me was saying that maybe this, right. It's like, you know, your body best, right? Exactly. Um, and so I asked, she's like, you know what, I'll send you a across the streets, the main hospital for more of a high tech ultrasound where they can really see things like much clearer. So I said, okay. So I went the next day to the hospital and the guy comes in and he's like, so um, we're calling your doctor right now, but you actually have a heteroectopic pregnancy. I was like, what does that mean? Right. Have you ever heard of that before? I had, I had never heard of that, that term. I knew ectopic and I knew they had seen something in my uterus. So he's basically told me that I was pregnant with twins. Um, one was in my uterus and one was in my fallopian tube and neither were viable. Um, and obviously I was in hysterics. Um, I rushed back across the, so the, back to my doctor and we kind of had to decide, you know, she's, she recommended doing a DNC and also removing that fallopian tube because she said often when you do have ectopics, it's because, you know, a fallopian tube is usually like faulty and maybe it was, you know, putting a sort of liquid uh, or into my uterus. And that could have been maybe a reason why I had been experiencing all this implantation failure from IVF. You know, maybe something was wrong with my tube and it was it was faulty. And at this point, you know, I had, since I wasn't ovulating on my own really, and I was never trying naturally, I, I didn't feel attachment to my fallopian tubes. And I was trusting my doctor and I said, okay, if this is what you think is we should do, then then let's do it. 
Um, obviously, like was not thrilled. It was the Friday before Martin Luther King weekend. And it was, you know, a snowy, cold winter day. Mm -hmm. um, but I went into the hospital. I had fallopian tube. Uh, it's basically laparoscopic surgery to remove a fallopian tube, which is not no joke. Um, you know, it's more incisions. My stomach was looking right. like a roadmap already between right. uh, the lap surgery I had already had for endometriosis. Plus, I had appendicitis earlier in my life. Plus this um, and a DNC. And Thankfully, you know, I healed pretty quickly and I went in the following week to just, you know, they, they want to make sure they follow your beta to make sure it's going down. And um, I think right before my surgery, it was like 1200 or something and it had dropped to like 300 or 350. So they mm -hmm. were very happy with that. And then she, I think it was, it was a Monday that she had, I had come in or something. And I think she said, all right, we'll see you, you know, come back in a week. And something in my gut again was like, I don't really want to wait a week. I want to come back in a few days. Yeah. Um, and she was kind of like, okay, like, you know, totally whatever you want. And I went back, you know, a few days later in the morning for blood work. Um, and then I actually was at a doctor's appointment with my mom for her. And I get a call from my doctor saying, you need to come here immediately. Your beta went back up to 550. Whoa. And what? I was like, what? And, you know, when we thought it would be dropping. So she's like, we need to see you now. Uh, so I literally, my mom and I ran out of her doctor's appointment to my doctor. They sent me back to the hospital. They did another scan and they found a second ectopic in my other tube that was, had been so microscopic that I didn't see it before. Oh my so God. I was pregnant with triplets from an IUI, one in each of my fallopian tubes and another one in my uterus. And none of them were viable. At this point, I literally was just, I was like, why does everything that could possibly go wrong happen to me? It was just the pretty, pretty shitty feeling. We had to then decide if I was going to do a surgery again to remove the other tube or take the methotrexate shot. And at this point, my husband and I spoke and we agreed that I didn't want to lose both my tubes. I didn't want to like completely eliminate the chance of ever getting pregnant naturally. Here I was, I was pregnant with no babies. Um, and who knew what the future had in store? I, I was like, I, we should, I guess we have to take this methotrexate shot, which is like a chemo drug. But then it, you know, really puts you on hold and you cannot do anything for like three months. And, you know, I had this plan that I was going to do another retrieval and try to get better embryos, possibly for my, uh, my surrogate and all these things. And, uh, you know, this was going to completely delay everything. Yeah. Um, and so I did the methotrexate shot. Of course, there's like a 20% chance that the shot doesn't work and you need a second shot and lo right. and behold. I fell in that 20% chance. Of course, so always falling on the wrong side of the statistics. Exactly. Right? Second methotrexate shot. And then finally, you know, my numbers started going down. And this, my second methotrexate shot was, you know, uh, early to mid February of 2020. Um, little did I know that it wouldn't matter about being on hold for three months because then obviously COVID came along um, and I wasn't doing anything anyway. But uh, it was just... I feel like throughout our entire journey, it was like kind of a joke that if something strange and weird and, you know, the, exactly the wrong side of the coin was going to happen, it was happening to me. Absolutely. I think so many of us feel that way and so many of us can relate to that. And uh, fortunately, two weeks later, literally, they call, they, they email me and they uh, with a profile of, of, of a match for us. And wow, honestly, that's quick. Like it was super quick. I think like the stars kind of aligned with the timing. and. Um, we looked at her. She was like adorable. She and her husband both went to, you know, um, good colleges. They had three adorable children. She had a good job. She had never been a surrogate before. Um, she was, you know, very passionate about it. We, we did a zoom with her. Um, we agreed to work together and, um, kind of started that process. So, um, unfortunately surrogacy was not legal in New York at the time. Um, mm -hmm. she was in Minneapolis. So we decided we were going to do everything at CCR in Boston. I was at CCRM in, in New York. Um, and so we, um, met her and her husband in Boston did, did the one day work up there, everything, you know, she passed this medical screening. We quickly got through legal, et cetera. And, um, 
it was, you know, uh, early 2020, um, everything got approved. I think we signed contracts late February and she started her meds in early March for transfer early April. And lo and behold, you know, COVID hits and oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, terrible timing. Everything gets canceled. You know, she's already halfway into her protocol. Um, my embryos are already in Boston. She's in Minneapolis. I'm in New York. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm like, what a nightmare. Yeah. I'm like, this is a shit show. Um, Mm -hmm. and of course I am like super proactive and type a, and I'm like, wait, there's a CCRM in Minneapolis too. Should we move her, her embryos from Boston to Minneapolis? So that as soon as the clinics open again, we can like do the transfer there. And we don't have to waste any time. And so, of course, I got like all my ducks in a row. I like became best friends with the head manager at CCR Minneapolis and basically like <laughs> hounded him every day. Told him, like, listen, my, my surrogate's on birth control. She can literally start meds. Like as soon as you give her the okay, we don't have to wait for our cycle. Like, oh my God. And of course, lo and behold, we were the first transfer in May uh, at the clinic once it opened. It's so funny, <laughs> Ashley. I just have to interrupt and say like, yeah. hearing you talk about all this and all the details and all the like minutia and things that are going on with your body and the meds, it, like, it sounds like you're like such an expert at this now. And isn't it wild to think that, you know, like before you started this journey, who would have thought, like, you never would have guessed that you'd be in this position. Oh, I, my friends joke that I'm a doctor without the medical degree. Totally. I, the amount I learned, and this is why I now, you know, we can get to this in the end, but now this is why I decided, you know, to help, you know, to really be a, a fertility and surrogacy, like coach and consultant and really help people is because I have, I, not only have I gotten so much knowledge, but I become so passionate about like, first of all, saving people headaches, saving people time, and also just helping people advocate for themselves. So, yeah. So anyways, we transferred in May of 2020, we got the call and my surrogate was pregnant. Her number was very high. It was like, we were jumping ear to ear. Um, the second day she went, you know, two days later, her, it more than doubled. Um, we were like, holy cow, um, we're finally pregnant. Of course you think the two week wait is hard, but the wait between the betas and the first ultrasound is, you know, even harder. And we had put two into her because Uh at this point, you know, we had already used all my day fives. We had day sixes. I think we had one day five left and, um, and a few day sixes, but, um, because of, you know, all the, the fails to me, um, my surrogate and the doctor felt comfortable with transferring too. So we go for the first ultrasound at, you know, six weeks and maybe two days or so. And we saw one heartbeat. My surrogate bled actually while she was in the clinic, like waiting for her ultrasound had a pretty big bleed. So she kind of like freaked out. And they told us while we were like zooming, they said, you know, she had a bleed, but we think it was possibly the second embryo or an SEH, but like the, you know, the first, uh, one embryo had a heartbeat. It was, it was lower per se. It was 102, but they told me above hundred is good. You know, especially since it's early, it's only like a little over six weeks and we, she had a scan to go back at seven weeks, two days. We went back the next week and the heartbeat was gone. And that was like, a, a, literally a stab in the gut. Um, and I, I, I was now it was, you know, it was summer of 2020. I had been, my husband and I had been, um, we had left Manhattan in March and we were living with my parents and my two siblings and, you know, their spouses and my two, my niece and my nephew all, you know, in one big house. And there was no privacy. I was screaming. I was so upset. It was Mm. very, very hard, but my, my doctor felt confident, you know, my surrogate did get pregnant and it did work, but maybe the, this bleed really just knocked out both embryos. Like we should give it another shot. Mm -hmm. So, um, we geared up for a second transfer uh, to her. We had a, obviously she had to have a DNC and we had a wait and, and all Gosh. that stuff. At the same time, I had decided because now my embryos were dwindling. Um, remember, I thought I'm like, oh, I'll never. Have right. to How many did you have left at this point? So I had lost um, four to me and two to her. So that's six. Wait, actually, no, I lost. Yeah. One, two, three four, five, sorry, five to me, two to her. So seven. So I had four left and I did a, um, I actually 
because I lost fertility insurance for myself, I went to a different clinic and I actually decided to do a retrieval like in the summer while I was, you know, still peak COVID. And I was like, let me try, you know, I, at this point I started also thinking my embryo batch was cursed. Like nobody told me that, but that was like in my head that like Mm -hmm. nothing was working from this batch. Um, and I, so I did a, a third retrieval and I decided to try a fresh transfer to me, which is something I never did. This retrieval was definitely not my best. I re- put a fresh one in me, didn't get pregnant. I actually had zero hopes. So it wasn't as much of a like, kind of like gut wrenching results. Um, but I only got one normal from that, mm-hmm. but I sent that one normal to Minneapolis. And then I transferred that one with an- the, the last one that was there to the surrogate in September of 2020. And once again, she got pregnant and her numbers were really high and again, doubled. And then at five weeks and two days, she called me. It was a Sunday night and she said she was bleeding. And I was Mm. like, oh, heart sinks, right? Yeah. And so we asked her to go in for an early scan. And so she went in early and they saw two sacks, but they were both um, empty, but it was five weeks and like three days. So it wasn't like crazy for them to be empty, but then we went back at six weeks, three days, and they were still empty. Mm-hmm. So um, a blighted ovum, another miscarriage. At this point, I, you know, I had gone down, like I had done so much research and I knew about like a little bit of something called like, you know, there's, there's certain uteruses and certain embryos that are kind of like incompatible. Like I, I thought originally that my uterus, I was incompatible with myself. Um, I was not, but my, obviously my, my, my environment, something in my body was attacking embryos, but, um, I had our surrogate do some additional testing. Um, and it turns out, um, there's something called, it's called KIR, K-I-R, um, and HLA testing. And basically I knew every person, um, has like, a, a makeup, like my, for example, you can be either be a C1, C1, C2, C2, C1, C2, or C2, C1. And, um, I, am a C1C2 and my husband's a C1C1. So every embryo takes one of me and one of my husband. Mm -hmm. And so that means because my husband is only C1C1, all of our embryos can only either be C1C1 or C1C2. We could have no C2C2 embryos because my husband has no C2. And for that kind of makeup, it's best to have like your uterus, I guess you you could do a, um, a blood test and you have a type. It could be an A or a B. For me, the best type is an A and my first surrogate was B. Mm-hmm. So my doctor felt like we were incompatible. Like she said, you know, unfortunately you need to break ties. And I think oh, you need God. to find a, a new surrogate. Also, my husband and I decided, you know, we've had all these normal PGS, normal embryos that like aren't working. It may be like, we are like, is there something wrong with us? So mm-hmm. we saw a geneticist to make sure and did microarray panel extra to make sure. And everything came back normal. He's mm-hmm. like, there's nothing wrong with your embryos. So I, it was now October of 2020 and I called call my agency and I said, listen, we need to break ties. I need you to find a new match. They said, okay, but right now with COVID and everything, it's, it could take up to six months. And I was like, livid. And I was like, I cannot wait six months. So I actually joined all these surrogacy matching groups on Facebook and basically posted a, you know, an, I'd say an ad a, a post <laughs> about with pictures of me and my husband explaining. Right. It's like a personal ad, right? Yes. From back in the day. And I also, um, with the help of a friend, created like a little um, basically Google Docs survey where I was like, okay, if people respond or if I message people, I'll have them fill out this survey so I can like vet candidates before I like waste time zooming with them yes. to be, find out like their thoughts on vaccination, on termination, transferring one versus two. Do they have surrogacy friendly insurance? Where do they live? Have they ever had miscarriages? Like all these things that I want to know or any complications so that I, I don't waste my time talking to someone who said gestational diabetes or who had preeclampsia because they wouldn't get approved as a surrogate or have they done it before? And I, I, I probably host, I probably spoke to like a, a dozen or so women on Zoom. And one person had posted herself that she had done before and she was looking for another journey. And I messaged her and I sent her my survey and she filled it out. And we we spoke on Zoom and I kind of just felt like she was very normal, very outgoing, smart. She had she had, um, a, a, you know, a good family. She had carried twins before. Um, she had worked with the agency previously. She was willing to work with my agency. And so I explained to her, I said, listen, you know, before we can move forward, I need you to do a blood test to see if you're fit for me. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. And she, she agreed. 
So I started that process with her um, to get all my ducks in a row to have, you know, get the order for her to do that. At the same time, um, my husband, and it's so crazy how, like, I truly believe that, like, there's such a series of events that happen here that if one hadn't happened, then like, like the story wouldn't have ended up where it ended up. But my Mm -hmm. husband ended up getting a new job and his new job had unlimited fertility coverage. So I was like, oh my God, amazing. I'm going to do another retrieval to get better embryos for my surrogate. Because now that I'm like convinced that batch is cursed and, you know, I, let me try to get better quality embryos. All that was left were all these sixes and BBs. And, you know, those are totally fine, but like, they're not the best. Mm -hmm. So, um, end of October, I did another retrieval. Um, I ended up getting three good quality normals, but because I'm crazy and I was like, three is not enough. I already lost four to my first surrogate. I'm like, I want to do one more retrieval. It's free anyway. Like I'll just do it back to back. Mm -hmm. So I did another retrieval. And while I was doing this retrieval, in the middle of the night, one night when I couldn't sleep, I just had this idea that, um, because my lining had always gotten like the thickest during a retrieval, why, how, why don't we try doing a fresh timing frozen transfer to me? So meaning using one of those bottom of the barrel four embryos that are left that like, I'm not going to use on my surrogate. So they're just like chilling and put one of those back into me. So we know it's normal and tested and but put it back in after the retrieval mm-hmm. um, because my lining is always best from a retrieval. Mm-hmm. And so I asked my doctor and he was like, as long as you know, you don't get over hyperstimulated and your levels are okay. And you and your husband are not going to go into a deep depression. If this doesn't work, I'm, I'm happy to try that protocol. Wow. So, we were like, you know what? We really have zero expectations. This is another Hail Mary. Like sure. we're going to try it. And it's also so great though, to have a doctor who listens to you, you know, yeah. like so many don't, I mean, there's so many wonderful doctors out there, of course, uh, 100%. but there's, a, you know, I've heard a lot of stories of doctors who just blow people off or we're not going to do that or just flat out refuse, you know, so to have yeah. a partnership with your doctor is so cool. And so totally. Key. Yes. He was, um, instrumental in all this and definitely like was very supportive and also became like more like a friend and a doctor to us. Mm-hmm. At the same time, my mom had told me she had a good friend who um, had a few, um, I believe like health scares. And she had saw this healer in Queens and she was like, tell Ashley to go to the healer. Like mm-hmm. he works miracles. And so um, my mom mentioned, and I, I was like, you know what? Maybe I was gearing up for this retrieval. And I was like, honestly, I have nothing to lose. Yes. So well, I, I want to go to a healer. I drove to Queens um, to this little adorable Russian man's apartment. Cool. And um, I had no idea what to expect. And he, you know, he, he sees me, he does like all these motions around me. It's like this voodoo stuff. He has me lay on like this, like doctor table and feels my, my chest and my back. And he is telling me that I'm going to get pregnant. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, no, 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 I'm here for a retrieval. I'm using a surrogate. I want to get good retrieval results. I need more embryos. And you know, he tells me I have to come every day for the next two weeks. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you are a 40 minute drive from my apartment. <laughs> I will come as much as I can, but I cannot come every day. So I went like about seven or maybe seven or 10 times over wow. like the next week leading up to my retrieval. Wait, did but, he know that you were trying, that going through like a fertility journey or did he just, yes, okay. Yes. I had told him like all that I said, I've been trying for yeah. at this point, it had been all of 2018, all of 2019. And we're at, we were at the end of 2020. It was like November, 2020, um, early December. And I, uh, of course, also he tells you that he is so powerful that after every session, when you see him, you have to give yourself an enema that night. Oh my God. So I was, I literally was doing anything to, to like, you know, just, I literally is like, I don't care. I was, it's yes. more fun. I was like laughing at this point. Yes. I don't mean, yeah. oh my God, with judgment at all. Yeah. I mean, oh my God, I would have done the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I, I gear, I have my retrieval. It's December 9th, 2020. I get 40 eggs. Holy shit. 30 are mature, 26 fertilized. I have 19 blasts and somehow oh I don't feel shitty. I felt like way shittier from other retrievals. This is now my fifth retrieval. Um, and my numbers looked good. And my doctor was like, yeah, we can do a transfer. So of course 
like I said, after every before transfers, I have trips planned. My husband and I had a trip planned to drive to Charleston and Kiowa for it was like mm. Christmas week or the week before Christmas. And um on day five after my transfer, my transfer was December 13th. And, and I that morning we were leaving to drive. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna take home. I had literally no expectations. I was like, I'm gonna take a test at home because I just kind of want to know if I'm gonna enjoy this vacation or am mm-hmm. I gonna be like miserable or what? And I saw a faint line. And I, my husband and I were like in disbelief. Mm. And we were kind of like, we're just not gonna really acknowledge it yet because, like, why would my sixth transfer work? And like, we're gonna just, you know, we're not gonna believe it until we have a beta. And um, of course, I then tested every day, like in Charleston. And I went for my beta there. And of course, a few times my line looked like lighter the next morning. And I was like freaking out, Mm -hmm. um, obviously getting like obsessed. And I I went for my first beta and my doctor called me and he said, congratulations, you are pregnant. It was 180. Um, It was, you know, pretty good for day nine. Um, Literally an hour later, my other doctor calls me to tell me that my surrogate is a match for us that we want. And we are like, what a day. (laughs) Holy shit. What a day. Um, We are like so excited because we're also still like so cautiously optimistic with me. I'm like, why would this transfer finally work, you know, like I'm not going to, you know, let's see a heartbeat. Like, you know, we'd already, we had had a heartbeat like disappear before. Anyways, I'm also on like, at this point I had seen a third immune doctor. Um, and I was on a completely different protocol for this last transfer. I was on also Plaquenil and Tacrolimus and also intralipids. Of course, I end up getting an allergic reaction at, um, five and a half weeks to one of the meds. And I woke up on New Year's day in a complete full body rash from head to toe rushed to the city, um, to get an early scan. And at five and three, we saw a sack with a yolk sack and I cried hysterically because I had never gotten a picture before. And I remember that feeling of like walking out of the clinic, holding a picture. And I had seen so many people before me, like as I was walking in, leave with a picture. And I was always like, hoping I could be one of those people. And it was just like such a surreal moment for me. And fortunately, um, my pregnancy, um, continued and, and, and I was really pregnant. Um, and, um, we still decided to move forward with our surrogate and, um, we met her, she flew in. Um, we decided to still use CCR Minneapolis as our clinic, even though our second surrogate was in Florida, Mm -hmm. um, because, um, we had trust of the doctors there. We had a good relationship with them. And we still could not do a transfer in New York because it wasn't legal still. And so we met her and her husband actually um, because I was pregnant and I didn't want to fly. Um, we drove to Boston and she met us in Boston so that we could do the work up there. They they let us do their, do it there, which was very nice. Um, so we met her in person. We loved her. Everything came back great with her workup. Legal took like literally one day because we were fortunately on the same page about everything. And um, she transferred in early March. We put one embryo in her. We we did not know what I was carrying at the time, but we asked them to put in the opposite gender to her, um, which turned out to have been our, oh, I forgot to mention, we got eight normals from that fourth, sorry, fifth retrieval. So Mm -hmm. eight normals from the fifth retrieval. So now I had 11 really good new embryos for the surrogate. (laughs) And, um, we put the best one in her, which happened to be the opposite gender too. Um, she got pregnant. We were due exactly 12 weeks apart. And, um, later in March, we found out I was carrying a girl and she was carrying a boy. Oh my God. We were over the moon ecstatic and, but still like, I really didn't, Um, I decided to finally share publicly that I was pregnant after I waited for my early anatomy scan, which was at 16 weeks, um, because I was just so anxious, um, honestly, my entire pregnancy. I I was also diagnosed with something at my nuchal called low PAP A, Mm -hmm. which is up a protein in your placenta, which is an early, which is like indicator that you possibly could have a preterm delivery or Mm -hmm. um, a smaller baby. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not like, a hundred percent, but just is like almost like a, a increased chance of also preeclampsia too. Um, so I was monitored extra closely. I was also because I was such a nervous pregnant person. I um, had my my immune doctor was also an MFM, so I was seeing him every single week, and I was seeing my OB every other week. Mm-hmm. So I literally never went more than I think six days my entire pregnancy without a scan. Like yeah. it was 
That like, makes sense. I, I can, I, I can understand that, that. I saw that baby like all the time. And right. of course, you know, she was like, uh, breach. And, um, I had, I entered placenta. So of course I had the kind where you don't feel the baby as much, which added to my anxiety. And so thankfully everything kind of went, was going smooth with my surrogate. She, you know, felt good. And we, uh, you know, everything was going there. I, um, got my, my, my cervix. I was diagnosed with like a little bit of a shorter cervix at 24 weeks. So again, I was being monitored extra closely and at, 33 weeks um, was when my my doctor I had asked to start, which I'm also a super advocate for is, you know, especially, you know, your body best. And, and if you have anxiety and if you are high risk, my recommendation is to get as much care as you can and really be as closely monitored as you can. Um, mm-hmm. My doctor had recommended because of all these things that I start um, non-stress tests at 34 weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, I had my appointment the week. I was supposed to just have my first non-stress test on a Monday. It was like Monday supposed to be, I think July 19th. And I, that week before on, on Tuesday, um, my service, had got a little shorter again. And I just, I was supposed to go out of town just from Thursday to Sunday, um, to my parents on Long Island. And I, I don't, uh, something inside me, thank God, um, asked if I could move that non-stress test to Thursday instead of Monday, because I just wanted to, you know, feel more secure going into the weekend. It was going to be my last weekend out of town. I was due August 30th and starting August, my OB didn't want me to leave Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went that morning. Um, it was Thursday, July 6th, July 15th to, uh, Cornell for my non-stress test by myself, because like, I, you know, I didn't even know you were supposed to bring your husband or anything like that. <laughs> right. And, um, I show up and I remember I texted my husband when I was in the waiting room. I'm like, I'm the only person here. Like, without a husband, like giving him shit. And he's like, I'm sorry. Like he was at work. And anyways, I go in. Um, and I said to the person too, who was monitoring me, I joked, I was like, I just gave my husband shit like that I'm alone. Um, and she like laughed and she put the bands on my stomach and Mm -hmm. about 15 minutes later she came in and she's like, um, we, we need to see you a bit longer. Like, you know, you're, you're something didn't look that great. And I was like, what? And then she comes back in again. She's like, I think you should call your husband. We're sending you to labor and delivery. Mm-hmm. And I just started hysterically crying. Yeah. Called my husband. He rushed over. We, they sent us upstairs. I'm I'm 33 weeks and three days. Yeah, I have scary. had no, I've had no steroid shots. I I'm like not ready to have a baby. I. Uh, you know, my husband comes and they, they put me on, you know, on the monitor and they're, they're doing the non-stress test again. And so far they said, you know, actually everything looks good. You know, um, it might, you know, your, the heartbeat had dropped a little bit, but it, it recovered, but we just want to wa- monitor you for another hour or two. So I thought at this point, okay, I'm just getting monitored. And I'm going to go home later. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, they then decided to do a, a biophysical profile, um, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but you know, you need to score like at least uh, they're an eight out of 10. Um, and they look at your fluid. They look at, um, the movements, breathing, um, a bunch of things that get scores and everything looked good, but my fluid had gotten very low. And so at this point they start also giving me fluids. So I put an IV in to give me fluids. And at this point they decide to give me the first steroid shot. Um, the steroid shots are really, really, like it's critical in long development, especially if you're going to have a uh, preemie and a preterm baby. Um, So I had got my first storage at about 2 PM and they were like, all right, we're going to, we're going to just monitor you like hang tight here. And um, my husband and I were in the room. I think he had like, he left a little bit before to get us like sandwiches. Like we had, I'd eaten. Um, Also I was on Lovenox Day, twice a day for, for as part of my immune protocol, my, my entire pregnancy. So I had taken Lovenox that morning, which is important later in the story. But, um, basically all of a sudden out of nowhere, I hear the alarms go off and all these doctors come rushing into my room, oh God. like Grey's Anatomy style. Yeah. And the heartbeat, it, it has dropped like significantly. And they push my husband out of the way and they're like, pushing me left, pushing me right. One nurse sticks her fingers up, up me. Uh, I guess I start bleeding. I had no idea, but all my husband sees is blood rushing down my leg. Oh God, he, Ashley, I'm getting yeah. like full body, like chills yeah. and like, he, he falls to the floor. Basically. Um, they wheel me out. They put 
an oxygen mask over my face. Thankfully, I already have the IV in my arm from the fluids and they rushed me into the OR and put me on the table. I'm like uncontrollably shaking. And all of a sudden they put me back on the monitor and her heart beats up and it's like back to normal. And my OB run runs in the door and she calls off the emergency C-section because she's trying to buy me another 24 hours because Mm -hmm. she wants steroid shots to kick in because those are like really essential. And I've only had like two hours of steroid shots. Mm -hmm. So they monitor me. I literally, I'm just laying on the OR table. They're all just chit-chatting around me and um, they're monitoring me to make sure her heartbeat's stable and returns to stable. And so they they brought me into the room right next to the OR. And um, my OB is like, listen, you know, you're not leaving this hospital till you have the baby. We want to get another 24, 48 hours from you. We're going to give you your second storage shot in 12 hours instead of 24 hours. The NICU team is going to come in to meet with you. Like, and my head is spinning and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, yeah. I like can't, can't even process this. Right. And they put a catheter in me because I, of course, also have to keep going to the bathroom. Cause I'm like so anxious every time I go to the bathroom, the monitors fall off my stomach. And it's just like a complete, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a shit show. Um, my OB listen, she leaves, it's about five 45 and she, or five 15. She's like, listen, I'm down the block. I'll see you in the morning, try to get some rest, like, you know, relax. I'm like, ha relax. Like, you know, I'm, there's no way I'm sleeping. So she leaves and they put the catheter on me. And about 10 minutes later, I feel like a burning sensation and I feel like I have to pee and you shouldn't have to feel like you have to pee if you have a catheter in. So I call for the nurse. And the next thing I know, the alarms are going off again and her heartbeats dropped. Everyone's running in. They're telling me to turn left, turn right. They have me get on all fours. I put my head in the pillow. My ass is up in the air. I'm like butt naked. And they are all screaming that they can't find a heartbeat. And they rush me back into the OR. And I literally just started like praying to God. Like, I don't don't even, I don't, I, I, it's, it's such a, like, it was such a crazy, outer body experience. But mm-hmm. the, the last thing I remember is they flipped me over and they put me on the bed and the anesthesiologist got really close to my face. And she said, Ashley, we're giving the baby 60 seconds. If her heartbeat doesn't come back, we're getting her out. And I just nodded. Mm-hmm. And fortunately I had the catheter and I had the, the thing in my arm for the anesthesia. So they didn't have to waste time mm-hmm. and I'm out. And the reason I had to go out under anesthesia is because I had Lovenox that morning. And so I couldn't oh. have an epidural and I couldn't risk bleeding. So I had to go under anesthesia wow. and my husband could be in the room. So he is outside the room, having no idea what's going on, like p- pacing, panting, like probably like crying. And an, an hour or so later, I wake up and I see the first pictures of my daughter um, oh my on my husband's phone. And so my daughter, Isabel Hart, um, was born uh, at 6, uh, 26, I believe, um, that night. Um, we only had four hours of that steroid shot. She was four pounds, three ounces. Oh, um, sweet, Isabel. Was, yeah, she was immediately brought to the NICU. She was only on CPAP originally. Um, so she was doing okay, but they call, they actually say the first like 12 hours are kind of a honeymoon phase mm-hmm. and usually babies do like, okay. Right. When they come out and then they like decline a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that as hard as, you know, um, the fertility journey was, um, having a baby born prematurely, um, when you were least expecting it and being, you know, she really, those first few days was not doing well. She needed to be intubated. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't really hold her until I think she was about like eight days old. We ended up having a 47 day NICU stay, which was extremely, um, traumatic and, at the beginning, then it, then it, then it was much better. Um, as she started really hitting her, her groove and she started thriving. Um, fortunately she is completely healthy and has no, um, health issues. Her main issue was just that she was born very early and had very premature lungs. And so she came home, um, on August 31st, one day after her due date. And, um, we had, you know, a few month and a half or so, um, at home or two and a half months at home with her. Um, and then, um, we flew to Florida in, um, November and unfortunately my surrogate had a very boring, pretty normal pregnancy. Um, she, you know, he didn't want to come out and she didn't want to dilate. So we had a planned C-section 
and he was born on November 17th and he weighed eight pounds, 15 ounces. So wow. he was more than twice her size. Oh my God. Um, his name is Xander Cole. And, um, I now have two babies. They just turned five months and nine months, um, a few days ago. And, um, my daughter is a tiny, feisty, adorable little thing. She's now in the, you know, 23rd percentile for weight and 64th for height. And my son is ginormous and he's in the 98th percentile for height and 74th for weight. He weighs two pounds more than her and is four months younger than her. And it's beautiful and amazing. And oh I my God, I feel so lucky to have two babies, but I cannot believe that I'm, you know, an IVF NICU and surrogacy mom. And right. it, took, it took four years to, you know, complete our family, but I truly have never been happier. And my, my children are my world. Thank you guys so much for listening to Ashley's story and Ashley, thank you again for sharing it. I'm so glad you have your two babes and I know it was your daughter's first birthday this week. So happy birthday to her. If you guys are looking for support, definitely check out Fertility Rally. It's the community I co-founded with Blair Nelson. It is a place where you can come with no judgment, no matter what you're going through. There's over 400 women right now who are members. We've had over 1,500 women over the last two years come through our doors. Many of them have their babes now. Lots of them are still in the midst of their journeys. Um, It's just been an incredible place and we would love to welcome you. So our doors open again on August 1st for a week. But check us out on Instagram in the meantime at Fertility Rally. You can always DM questions over there or to me at Infertile AF Stories. And we would be happy to support you. We have four support groups a week. So thank you guys so much. Check it out. And thanks again for listening. I'll talk to you guys next time.